Welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast. Uh, I am Terry Ishi, uh, and today on the roundtable, we are joined uh, by Brooklyn Colburn. Brooklyn, how are you? Guys, I'm doing well. And you're Even not Alaska. In, yeah, so. you're not in New York City. No, you're on the opposite not. part of the United States. So in Alaska, very cool. Uh, and then we also have Brad Campbell uh, from Knoxville, Tennessee. Hey. Brad, how are you doing, buddy? Good. How are you guys? Good, man. It's good to see you. Always appreciate you uh, and your voice and hanging out with you. Uh, and then we also have Alan Bradford. Um, yeah, you guys know I can't do anything without Alan, so Alan's here. So, Alan, how you doing? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, also from Knoxville, Tennessee. That's right. Cool. All right. Well, uh, today, we're just going to jump right into it. So, uh, we are going to have a conversation uh, around this idea of fear. And so last time we talked, we introduced this idea of zeitgeist. Uh, and so, uh, Alan, why don't you just take a second and kind of recap what zeitgeist means and uh, kind of lead us into this conversation today around fear. Sure. Yeah. So I love the word zeitgeist. And let me tell you why I love it. Um, do you guys ever play speed scrabble? Yeah. Is, what are like bananagrams? I think is the new Bananagrams is another word for it. Yeah. Basically, Speed Scrabble, I think Bananagrams and Speed Scrabble are the same thing, but Speed Scrabble is you have all the tiles and everybody makes their own little words. Well, my wife and I love to play Speed Scrabble and we'll play a double deck where we have two tiles, like two bags of uh, Scrabble tiles in. And my wife literally got Zeitgeist once. She made Zeitgeist in Speed Scrabble. She still lost. Wow. I, I don't know if I should say that, but <laughs> but I mean that's impressive, right? So Huge. yeah, uh, it just shows what kind of nerds we are. But no, I love this term Zeitgeist. One, it's a German word. I grew up in Germany, but it really just means the spirit of the times. And so it's kind of like looking back at history and saying, hey, if you could look back at a particular part of history, what was the what was the culture like? What was the spirit of that time? And the reference I always use is think about, you know, the United States before World War II, right? There was an isolationist uh, zeitgeist where America wanted to just be about America for the most part. World War II happened and we kind of had to, to come out of it. And so um, you can look back and say, hey, what, what, are the, what are the trends? What do you see? And one of the things that we like to do is, is to exegete culture. In other words, let's take a look at what's going on around us and what is the current zeitgeist. Now, we may not be able to nail it perfectly, may not be able to figure it out 100% now, uh, but you know, what, what do we see? What is going on around us? And one of the things that we discussed was definitely this idea of fear, the, the zeitgeist or the culture of fear. Um, yeah, Brooklyn, I know you've been kind of looking into this a little bit. Why don't you kind of share some of your thoughts with us? Yeah, so fear is near and dear to my heart. Fun fact, I actually have a tattoo on my wrist that says fearless. So um, this is fun for me to jump into just because of my own personal story around fear. So um, as I've been listening to other voices and researching, something that I found was just that there tends to be um, three categories of fear, um, that all of our fears kind of fall into these things. So fear of pain or suffering, the fear of failure or not being enough, and then also this fear of losing control. And so I think that we definitely can see that in our society at large, just with COVID. I mean, we, everybody lost all control that they thought they had. And so um, I think there's this uneasy tension that we see, um, but also fear sells. And so I think that there's a lot of examples around us of people using fear as a tactic to get you to 
do what they want, to vote in a certain way, to buy a certain product or whatever that may be. So yeah, I thought that's how I'm seeing fear um, all around. I'd, I'd never, until you'd mentioned this uh, before, I'd never thought about all fear going into those three categories. So fear of suffering or pain, fear of loss of control, or fear, fear of failure and inadequacy. Um, and so I started to think about all the times either I've been afraid or I've seen fear and I try to place it within each one of those categories. So for example, I'm, a, I'm an Enneagram 8. And so when you look at an 8, our big thing is control. And I hate that the fear of losing control is huge. So uh, an eight wants to control their environment to keep myself safe, you know? So I could definitely see that. Um, the fear of suffering or pain, I think everybody has that innately. I think just kind of like, that's a big thing. Um, I'm, this is not bragging. This is, this is definitely my own whatever. But uh, like I've had over 40 kidney stones in my life. So that's not a big one for me. <laughs> <laughs> the fear of suffering a pain because I'm like oh yeah well that's just okay that sounded awful I, I stopped counting after 40 I was like this is ridiculous these need to be diamonds so I could be rich but you know it, it'd be interesting to see where you guys have seen uh, these different categories you know how do you see this playing out in our culture right now the fear of suffering a pain loss of control or, or failure in an in inadequacy yeah I think one of the the, the big, big things that I see and, and I'm in, I'm a six on the Enneagram. And so fear is like my best friend, uh, uh, but like that, but like that best friend you hate, um, but he's just always around. So you might as well be friends with him. Um, and, and the fear the, the losing security, you know, that is a huge, huge deal for sixes. And I struggle with that. And, and it's funny. I, it's the thing that I see the most, um, where we have so much to lose, uh, which just even saying that we have so much to lose, it, it's, it, I don't know, I kind of feel gross when I say that, but that's the big deal, you know, trying to figure out how do you, how do you live life and make sure that everything is secure. And as someone who is every day trying to attempt uh, to keep Jesus as the Lord of my life, uh, it's tough because I know the, the, that security can, can be an idol for me. Uh, and so the fear of losing it is a is a big deal. It's a big deal. Well, I, I, I don't know if you guys have ever uh, listened to the Liturgist podcast, uh, but I, one of my favorite podcasts of theirs is they spend about two hours on the Enneagram, and they just went around the wheel of the Enneagram and spent you know uh, some time just unpacking each number. And I still remember hearing them talk about Enneagram sixes. So you, Terry. And they said the theory is 40% of the population are sixes. Now, that, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if I, I see that play out in my life, but that a vast majority of people are sixes. And then when you think about how fear is used in culture and society, um, it's, like, it's like playing on that, that part. Now, it's, again, fear is not just a sixth thing. That's <laughs> yeah. all of us. You know? I think you could trace a, a lot, of, just about everything, back to fear. Yeah, and this culture of fear um, of, of you no know, understanding that maybe 40% of the population is a six in, in that, but also the way that we see um, kind of kind of media pushing into that um, fear of whatever um, in the way that we see the news and the way that commercials are designed, just in the way that we're marketed to. Um, I don't know if you guys see that as well or have any other comments, but um, that's something that I've been just a little bit more aware of these past few days. 
Yeah, uh, when I when I kind of think of this conversation, uh, kind of the direction that we're going, I don't really think of any specific instance in which I see fear playing itself out uh, in culture outside of what I mean the big the big kind of blanket things that we've already uh, discussed a little bit. But I really think about what so Brian McLaren he he talks about these narratives um, that each of the like there's three narratives that are constantly kind of going on in response to fear. Uh, and the first one is the narrative of complacency. So it's the idea that I'm just going to, I'm just going to sit back <laughs> and let this thing play out. I mean, I imagine a lot of, if we're going to stick with the Enneagram, a lot of your sixes and nines are going to fall in that complacent camp that they're, they're going to be outliers. They're going to be on the outside looking in, uh, whether it's in their own uh, kind of narrative themselves, or if it's looking at a societal narrative that's going on. Uh, the second one, I think, has more to do with leaning into the conflict, probably looking for the opportunity to jump into fear in some way, in a positive or negative way, and play a part in either feeling the flame or uh, trying to distinguish it in some way. And then the third uh, I think McLaren uses the narrative of John 1, uh, this kind of alternative creation account. Um, and I think it's 114. It's, it, I mean, a lot of times the message interprets 114 as being he became flesh and moved, to the, moved into the neighborhood. Um, but I, I think McLaren leans into the dwelt among us translation a little bit more and says that in the narrative of fear, the overarching kind of narrative that we see at a cultural kind of worldwide um, level, um, that the true narrative is, is to us uh, to, to be a part of the kingdom, to kind of unveil this kingdom uh, that, that Jesus indeed does kind of do away with fear. Um, that we are invited into an alternative way of, of being. And I, I think that that is probably the most missional posture that we can adopt as, as missionaries in the kingdom. Uh, those who try to distinguish fear or to extinguish fear. Yeah, that's good. I, I'm interested in that first narrative. How did you do the McLaren? How did he describe that first narrative? The first response? Yeah, so it's the narrative of complacency. So it's, it's a lot of times uh, just looking at the fear from the outside. So I think a lot of us do this with media. Um, even, even just for, for those of us who would comment on a, a social media post from a news uh, broadcaster, um, you know, it's still outside looking in to me. It's not being a part of the the narrative it's it's just spectating and maybe offering your commentary on it it's not doing anything about it so it can be as extensive as that like as involved as that uh or it can be as complacent as i'm just gonna lock myself in my house and i'm never gonna i i mean there's there's a few people that i know who have said i'm just gonna completely remove myself from all social spheres from all church from all uh, relationships and all I need to do is go to the grocery store and I have my dog and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna lodge up in my house yeah and that to me is as minimal like as complacent as it gets well it makes me think I don't, and this may be semantics but it makes me think of the term apathy 
Um, and so like um, Brad in our town, Knoxville, Tennessee, um, there's a, there's a pastor friend of ours that, that did a, um, an extensive study on the history of Knoxville and um, mm. kind of went through and said, you know, this is how Knoxville started. And this is kind of the, the, um, the history of the town and some of the cultural trends that have happened, some of the things that have really impacted Knoxville. And he said, there's a couple of different characteristics of Knoxville. And one of them is that Knoxville is pretty apathetic. We don't mm. get too fired wow. up about much of anything. Yeah. Um, so in this town, a lot of the huge cultural uprisings, you know, like, like just think about the current um, season we're in now with, with whatever big thing that's going on, Black Lives Movement, whatever, those things will pop up here, but it's like, eh, cool. You know, you kind of had your moment and we're done and let's just kind of move on. So the, the idea of apathy. Um, and so I, I'm kind of interested because mm -hmm. it does seem like there is that, that culture of apathy and again, just here, but I think also across the board, we have some people who are incredibly fired up. Some people are like, ah, batten down the hatches, it'll pass, it'll be done. I, I don't even know what I could do, especially as you start to think about the political season we're entering into, right? Where people are either gonna get really, really fired up or really, really apathetic, and there's no real in-between, it seems sometimes. Yeah, I think, that, that, I think that's fascinating because one thing we haven't really discussed is how uh, fear is handled by different people. Uh, so far, we've kind of talked about fear and what it does and, you know, it, it makes us sad or makes us complacent. It makes us scared. Uh, but yet there's a whole different demographic of people when they have fear. It's like go time for them. Um, I, 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 I'm a big fan of Bear Grylls. Do you guys know Bear Grylls? Uh, he's the man versus wild guy. Uh, he has a new uh, The World Race on Amazon Prime. If you haven't watched it, check it out. It's pretty dope. Uh, but he's, I mean, he's just this crazy, you know, survivalist. He's a Brit who was in, you know, whatever their special black ops, you know, guys are that they do. But, you know, he's just this guy that, you know, he's a, he's a junkie for crazy, insane kind of places. But he talks quite a bit about the motive, how fear can be a motivator. Um, and he, he is a follower of Jesus uh, and Jesus plays a significant role in, in his, his world and his, in his mind and ethos. And, um, but he talks about fear um, from a completely different uh, perspective where uh, fear as a, an indicator for like how to move forward. And so as a six, I, I, I can resonate with the complacency because it's like, I, I, I've always feel like I got something to lose. Uh, and so there's not like a cool, uh, anagram for that. I don't, is anagram the right word? But we don't, we, the complacency folk, we don't have FOMO, you know, the fear of missing out. That's like the bear grills guys that are like, Oh, I'm going to move because I might miss something or I might miss that an opportunity. And so, but I do, I am fascinated, but that's a completely different, uh, take so yeah I mean I think every person is kind of different percentages of complacency and wanting to lean into it because I mean think about how many of us want to go to a movie to a scary movie who are complacent people just to be involved in the kind of adrenaline fear experience like we want to be on the outside of it we, we, we don't want to be on the inside because if we're on the inside, then that means impending doom. That means that danger. I mean, it's, it's all of this stuff that kind of the six, nine, even probably some of the seven and one uh, deal with that. Like, 
I have to be a certain extent removed from what is actually going on, but I, I do have, I have this longing to go see these horrible things happening to other people who aren't real. Like in the movie, I mean, they're actors and you have special effects and everything, but I, I really do think that there's like, there's not a hundred percent complacent people and there's not a hundred percent people who want to always be in the fire, you know, like I think every single person, like some of us are going to be 70, 30, some of us are going to be 60, 40. And it's just the kind of trying to figure out where we fit our narrative into that narrative of how are we interacting with the fear? Yeah. Now you're in my wheelhouse now. I mean that, and I have lots and lots of thoughts on this when it comes to movies, because it's almost a little bit of a pet peeve of mine right now. It's a little bit of a soapbox that I have because um, back in the day and back in the day, I'm talking like five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, uh, scary movies only came out like late September, October. They were done by November and we were like family Thanksgiving, Christmas movies. That was it. So those are the, that was the season scary movies come to the theater this time. Scary movies are year round now. And as a six who I like an occasional scary movie, it actually frustrates me to how many scary movies there are and it's year round. I, this last year, I saw more scary movies in one calendar year than I had probably in the previous five or six years, simply because there were just that many movies that were out there that fell in that genre. Now, some of them are fantastic and some of them are very poignant. You know, Get Out was fantastic. Us was fantastic. Um, Jordan Peele is, is a master in that story, telling that story. Uh, his Twilight Zone stuff is, is, was wonderful. But it, it, I think it says something to the culture that why all of a sudden are these fear-driven movies, these scary movies, not just simply thrillers, but they're just flat-out horror films. It's year-round. And I know Danielle Strickland, she, she wrote a book about The Walking Dead a handful of years ago and was talking like, here's some things that are kind of happening. Here's the new trends where uh, we had, it started with the, 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 the twinkly, sparkly vampires. And then it became, now it's zombies. <laughs> and now it's just like murderscape. <laughs> so it's, it's all of these different things. But it, it is in camp, it, it's, it's kind of capturing the culture of where we're at. And media always captures the culture. Yeah. You know, something you said a little bit ago, Terry, about being motivated by fear. Um, I was listening to a podcast about movies and it was on um, fear culture in Monsters, Inc. And so something that they mentioned is, you know, symptoms of fear. Like, you know, so for example, one of them was the, uh, one of the symptoms is turning against one another. And you kind of see this in the monsters as they're like competing for this, you know, prize number one position on the scare, scream, scare board. I don't, yeah, whatever yeah. it's called. Um, so I think that that's an interesting just thought of, are we letting fear create symptoms out of us or are we being motivated by fear? And I think those are two different perspectives to fear and culture. And I think have really different outcomes for people. Yeah, that's good. It, yeah, that's really good. I, it, so back to the, the, the zombies, if you ever want to have some fun, look at, do some cultural digging on what are the um, what are the 
horror um, characters during a certain time. Like you just said, you went from sparkly vampire to um, zombie. There was a whole um, exegesis on why zombies were the thing for so long in culture. You gotta look at why were vampires the thing for so long in culture? Why, a long time ago, why was Frankenstein the thing for so long in culture? And it, it, there's, there's, some, there's some things that culture is telling you when you just look at that. That's you know, right. like there's all kind of, I, I never read Daniel Strickland's book, but like, why was it zombies? Why was it this? Why was it this thing that has now become the encapsulation, this post-apocalyptic stuff? What does that all mean? And it, it's like culture's telling you something. Okay, what is it? How do we learn from that? I think that's pretty good. I, I think a yeah. lot of it too is, sorry, Terry, you want to go? No, good. No, go okay. for it, brother. I think a lot of it is also like, just like universities kind of need a mascot to kind of rally around. Mm, that's I good. think different uh, zeitgeists, is that what we're calling it? Sure, yeah, yeah. go with that. Uh, nice, bonus um, points. Is that, is that it? Um, I think different zeitgeists uh, really need a mascot for fear. Like yeah. different periods of time kind of need to name it in some way and put a character to it. Uh, and I mean, I like what you said, Alan, because I really think that you can exegete and analyze the, the human development of like how we've got to today. Like how, how is it that we live in a time today that six, 40 to 60% of people have anxiety disorders and most of them don't even know it. It could be more than that. And like, I, I do think it is therapeutic in a lot of ways to to be able to name things and, and characters, especially in creative and artistic ways that kind of gives us a way to cope. Yeah, man, you nailed it. I mean, even looking back in the last, I, I was born in 78. And so, yes, I'm old enough to be Brooklyn's father, <laughs> which creeps me out. Brad, I don't know about you, but you're a youngin as well. Uh, we love having the young folk on the, on the shows. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like in my lifetime, I look at the villains that, that, that culture has told me, right? You had Mike Myers in the early 80s. That said something about what was going on in the early 80s. Uh, Jason Voorhees is another one of those from uh, the Jason Friday the 13th movies, where in culture, everyone's fear was someone's going to break into my house and hurt me. Mm -hmm. And then you fast forward to you had all the monsters and now which which is kind of this emerging uh monster which is super scary to me because it's a faceless monster and it's it's mental health i mean you you see all of these films that are or there it's all about the psyche it's all in their head and so it speaks to culture and so a culture's monsters is huge um uh, I just introduced my, I don't know if I should say this on the pod, but I, I just introduced my daughter to John Wick and, you know, the, the Baba Yaga, the boogeyman, right? And the whole culture in Russia and that whole, that idea that in every culture has its own boogeyman, uh, but it's powerful, uh, which I know we could probably spend, you know, another hour talking about this. And I am proud, guys. I'm proud that we've made it this far in the podcast and no one has dropped fear, false evidences appearing real. So like <laughs> we've, we've made it. So let me, let's ground the conversation because this is a missional podcast. All of this, this culture of fear that we have, what are the implications for our mission as the sent ones of Jesus? Hmm. 
I think one of the implications goes back to what Brooklyn was saying earlier about how fear manifests itself in different ways. And fear does come out in all kinds of different and different, um, you know, in the way that I handle fear, I know it, 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 Tuesday I may handle it one way, Wednesday I may handle it one way, Wednesday night I handle it completely different. And, um, and so I think it's recognizing a lot of things. There was something I heard a long time ago that really helped me early on in ministry. And it was the idea that there is a positive intention behind every, um, behind every behavior. So for the example is if, if Brooklyn, if I lied to you, there's a positive intention behind that behavior beyond right, wrong, good or bad, right? So if I lie to you, maybe I'm trying to protect myself. I'm trying to make myself look better. And how do you identify with a positive intention? And so when I encounter other people's um, fear responses to whatever it is, you know, how they, they might be coming out somehow and maybe aggressive and maybe cowardly and maybe whatever it is. I'm trying to sit down and go, okay, how do I identify their positive intention, right? How do I try to get beyond just the thing that I'm seeing? And it may be frustrating me, it may be scaring me, it may be ticking me off, but how do I get beyond that and say, okay, there's, there's gotta be something deeper here. And I think for me, a lot of that real quickly is grounded in a lot of the Imago Dei stuff, the image of God, the fact that we're all created in the image of God. And so as Deb Hirsch would say, you know, you gotta learn to lean in to the other, to be genuinely curious about the other person and say, you know what, there is something about my my creator, our God in you, and I wanna lean into that. I wanna get beyond whatever this fear response is or help navigate some of that. Yeah, I think one of the other implications too goes back to what Terry was saying just a minute ago, uh, kind of <laughs> sticking in that line of movies, like what were the underlying fears that Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees and Freddy Krueger were teaching those generations? It's the fear that if you don't lock yourself in your house, then you're going to get killed or the person out there is going to break in and steal all of your stuff, which in turn, <laughs> it kind of gives us this story that we've inherited today of uh, whatever whatever suburb uh, you would be living in or whatever neighborhood you would be living in that like individualism is the narrative to live by that it's mm. been for yourself. It's, it's look out for your family, hide your kids, hide your wife and stuff. <laughs> uh, and, and I, I really think that the missional implication of that is that we need to unlearn the fear narrative oh, of each of the villains that we have. And I mean, you look at Freddy Krueger, Freddy Krueger is a little bit different and more complex because I feel like the liturgy that's being taught there has more to do with inward fear. Yeah. The, the idea that if, if, if you think too far into your head or think too far into your own experience that you're going to end up um, being attacked by yourself, uh, but being attacked in, in a variety of ways, whatever your greatest fear is, um, and I mean, I think there's plenty of missional implications to these fear narratives that movies, that societal figures, that whatever generational trends have taught us. Yeah, you're probably too young for this one, buddy. But uh, really, on the uh, Friday the 13th narrative, uh, the idea there was uh, premarital sex, right? That'll kill you. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was always the teenagers at camp. That's good. And then things started getting frisky. And then guess what? Jason shows up and kills them all. <laughs> So as a good, you know, former youth minister, like, <laughs> hey, hey, let's let's watch Friday the 13th, kids. Come on. No, I'm not going to go there. Yeah. yeah and um, I, I think it's important, 
you know, our, our friend Nick Kokus, uh, who is a friend of Forge, and uh, I just want to plug, he has a new podcast called The You Effect. Uh, so if you're, if you're a serial podcast listener, go check it out. Uh, but one of the things that he talks about is it, how do we respond to fear is, is, as an artist, he talks about you just got to get your stuff out there. You know, you just have to get it out there. And, I, and as I was listening to him talk about this, I, I just I could not help take the, the missional implication of as missionaries, as the, as the sent people of Jesus, whatever it is that the Holy Spirit is prompting in us, we just have to get it out there. And we wait so long to make it perfect. And, and Nick, as an artist, uh, this is a guy who's been on Broadway uh, he's, he's been in, uh, he's out in California and that, in that, uh, industry. And, you know, he's a guy that's been around it. He's been around the glitz and the glamor and just talk. And he talks about this, the, the paralysis that people have on, it's not yet ready. It's not yet ready. And so they hold it. And it's the fear of releasing something that's not quite ready. It holds us back. And so he's a, he's just a big champion for, Whatever it is, do it and get it out there. So then you can do the next thing. And I think mission is very similar that if we're waiting to figure out how the, the best 100% most effective way to, to reach and connect with our neighbors, we're never actually going to do it because we're going to be sitting and analyzing and doing it over and over again. When a simple, mediocre, awkward, hey, hello, my name is Terry. I hate that it's taken this long for us to get to know each other. Uh, that will suffice because you can build on it. And that's what he was talking about is build on your art, build on whatever it is that you're doing. And mission operates the same way. I think another implication for us as we continue to um, live missionally um, is kind of embracing empathy and compassion um, in the face of fear. Something that I've noticed just in my context in the city as I've worked with pastors and church planters um, and talking to my parents who are pastors as well, um, seeing how they're scared to, like there's fear that's permeating church culture for them and their own personal, how do we keep going? Um, and so I think as I connect all of that, I see how first we have to have empathy and compassion with ourselves in the face of fear um, in order for us to then be able to have empathy and compassion for others in the face of fear. And so how do we do, again, I think we talked about this a little bit last time of how are we taking the space to process and be and learn and reflect and rest um, for ourselves. And then out of that, move into culture and say, okay, I'm listening. I'm ready to hear and have compassion with you because I feel with you um, or if I'm empathizing with you. I have the same fears and our responses are looking different right now. Um, but, but let's have these conversations. Let's dive into it um, so that you understand, one, you're not alone in fear, um, and, and two, there's, there is a way out. Um, you don't have to be paralyzed here. So That's really yeah. good. Yeah, because I realized that for me, I, I, um, I, when I find my empathy lacking for other people, I realize it's because I don't give my, myself any empathy or space. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm very short or um, not compassionate with other people. And then that's when I have to do the gut check and I'm going, Oh, because I didn't do that for me. And so I'm not expecting it for anybody else. And that's made me a bad person, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the things that in our, our family life here uh, at home, trying to figure out like, how do you teach a 14 year old to become an adult? And one of the lessons is empathy. And 
one of the things that that you're, you said, Brooklyn, that's just so dead on in this in this idea of implicating implications for mission, is you have to identify the moments when empathy is like when you should be empathetic. And 14 year olds miss that all the time. <laughs> and so like just having that and if what I'm discovering is like, oh yeah, it's not just 14 year olds. There are, there are adults who are still missing where we're missing like, oh, empathy is needed here. This is gonna help us in mission is if we can truly connect with our neighbors. Uh, you know, in Forge, we talk a lot about the six Ps and of, of practices of Jesus and stuff and passion. It's, it's that ability to connect and suffer, it's, it's huge. Yeah, so I'm going to try to uh, kind of synthesize or at least uh, for myself kind of interpret what Terry and Brooklyn, uh, what you guys just said. Um, so Terry, first you said uh, that much like uh, art, that mission is you can't wait for it to be finished. You can't wait for yourself to have the perfect model, the perfect leaders, the perfect context in order to carry out uh, what you believe is kingdom work. Um, and uh, there's so there's actually um, there's actually a a book uh, that is by a guy named Makoto Fujimura, and Makoto is uh, a lot of people just call him Mako, so I'm going to call him Mako. Uh, Mako he is a professor of theology and arts at Fuller Theological Seminary, uh, and he wrote this book, kind of uh, that has to do with beauty and empathy and um, what I think is the role of the church in the modern era. Uh, especially the role of the church in the West. Um, and it is called culture care. And it is directed primarily toward artists and toward those who would create things. And the subtitle of the book is called Reconnecting with Beauty for Our Common Life. And in the very opening section of this book, he says, whether inside or outside the bounds of a sanctuary or congregation, culture care is always our vocation and mission. And he kind of breaks it down into three, um, three categories of culture care, three things that you need to do to be a culture carer. And the first is Genesis moments. He calls them these aha moments, these ideas of kind of unveiling what was already there um, that may not be perceivable to the common eye. So uh, in, in the ancient Celtic tradition, they called this the theology of thin places, uh, this idea that um, it, the the distance between heaven and earth is very short, uh, and and God in very specific ways. So, like the Catholic Church would say through the sacraments and and communion and the Eucharist, uh, God specifically creates a thin place where He can be encountered at a deeper level. Um, so those are Genesis moments, and then the second one is what He calls generosity. In Brooklyn, I think a lot of what you said about empathy, uh, it kind of fits into this because I think a lot, uh, when we think about being a generous person, we usually kind of uh, tie it to our resources. First and foremost, we say, if I'm generous with my money, then that's enough. If I, if I give five bucks to the homeless person, or if I carry around a subway gift card and give it to a homeless person on the street, that's enough. And those are all great things. I encourage people to do those things. Um, but I think that generosity goes a lot deeper. I think there's generosity of experience and uh, kind of, I think being an empathetic person is being generous with, uh, generous with your emotions and generous with being vulnerable and generous with your time and your space. Uh, 
and always being willing to uh, help others to kind of see fear in a new light. And then the third uh, is, is called generational thinking. So there are three G's uh, to make it easy. Genesis moments, <laughs> generosity, and um, generational thinking. So Terry, Terry's our Baptist. He's our resident Baptist. So he loves this. He's, he's taking like, notes. yeah, three G's. He's taking notes right now. I see him. Um, and this, this third G is, yeah, generational thinking. It's this idea that since Christ, like there's, there has been a new way of thinking virtuously that before Christ, the idea of virtue, uh, to, to look out for others, to empathize with others, wasn't really, um, debated. It, it was just assumed that you would only look out for yourself and do what was in the best interest of you of the individual. And in many ways, I think we've kind of re-inherited that in, in this century, uh, in the, in the previous century, in the ninth, the 20th and 21st centuries. Um, but I think that we, we can unlearn those things in order to become better carers of culture that we would be able to better reveal the kingdom, to be missional in the kingdom and to, uh, extinguish fear in the kingdom. That's so good, Brad, man. That's solid. Well, I think it's time to shut this thing down. And so guys, it's been fantastic having this conversation. Uh, I know we could go on and on uh, just because fear is just so, it's so prevalent in our culture. Uh, and by no means is this a conversation that encompasses everything that is to be said about fear, because that would just be foolish. Uh, so, but it's a start. And, and, and no matter what, well, if you're, if you're listening and you're dealing with fear and you're like, well, you didn't address what, what I'm most fearful of. And it, it's one of those things that I think it's important that we all, we all have to do the hard work of discerning it and figuring it out. Uh, but also remembering and gosh, I hope this by no means hope to come off as cliche, but you know, love does cast out fear and um, as, as wide and as nuanced as fear is, so is love. And so love is big and encompassing and far reaching. And so uh, as we continue uh, to be practitioners uh, of the Missio Dei, as we practice God's mission, uh, man, let us be quick to love, love ourselves, to love others, uh, to, to be willing to discover uh, those who are different from us, to love them as well. And, and whatever we fear, uh, let, it, let fear be what fear is. Uh, it's an indicator for safety, but it's not something that should dictate our behavior that we move forward in love and not in fear so thank you guys it's been great uh if you are listening uh please go check us out on you uh, youtube we're not on youtube uh oh. i i, I <laughs> and spotify uh yeah. give us a rating uh you can give us a four this week since i've clubbed that but five <laughs> would be super generous uh to follow one of um uh, brad's three g's uh, which that's the name of his new rap uh, group, the three G's, um, throw them up. Uh, and so next week we are going to continue this conversation, uh, on culture and zeitgeist. Uh, my friend Alan's, uh, favorite word. Uh, we're going to talk about how to exegete culture, which, uh, if you've been listening the first two times to the round table and you're like, yeah, this is not we're going to get super practical next week and so because we do think as missionaries it's super super important that you learn how to exegete the culture around you to, to kind of discover it and and context is, is super super important 
if you haven't already listened to the Mike Frost interview with Roland Smith, uh, please go check that out. It's fantastic. And then we have Christina Rice, uh, who was an, uh, the author of To Alter Your World. Uh, she's going to be on the podcast here in the next week or so. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, thank you guys, Brooklyn, Brad, Alan. You guys are awesome. Thanks for being on the call. Uh, I always call this the call on the podcast. There you go. Uh, it's a Zoom call. That's how we do these things. But thanks again. It was awesome. And then we'll see you guys uh, next time. How should I? <laughs> oh my gosh. For a moment, I just wish this was a video podcast just to capture that, like, yeah. <laughs>